Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, we ask that your word would be for us what we know it is and what we need it to be, and that is words of life, words that remind us and convict us of a truth that we are not alone, but you are here and with us, and you are for our good, and you are giving us the bread of life through the words that we read. May your word be in our hearts. May it be a living word. May it be the words of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We're reading from uh, the book of James, chapter 5. We've been looking at integrity in the book of James. And I want to finish with um, what, uh, what does integrity have to do with the words that we speak? And so listen as we read James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Okay, we're wrapping up this series on integrity. What does integrity have to do with words that we speak? Verse 12 says, above all, do not swear. Above everything else, James writes. So why does God care if we swear? Why does God care if we, and you might Think of this when you think of swearing, cussing. Why, why does God care if we cuss or let a, a, a foul word fly out of our mouth on occasion? Why is that a big deal? Why does God care if we make um, passionate and desperate oaths like, God, if you will just work this out for me, if you'll if you just turn this around for me, Lord, I promise, I promise, I promise. I will, I will never let you down again. Those passionate oaths. Is that a big deal? Why does God care if we grumble? Right? Verse 9 says, do not grumble. Those little grumbles that come out of our mouth. Why? What, what's, what's wrong with a little complaining from time to time? What we are going to look at today is the power of our words. God cares if we swear because our words are enormously significant. And God wants us to use them in a way that shows our integrity, the integrity of our Christian faith. So we're going to look at three words, three ways, not words, three ways that our words are so powerful today. Our words shape Christian community. 
Our words help us do God's work, and our words reveal what we believe about God's character. So let's go through those. One, our words shape community. Verse 7, James writes, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. So we, we see this, this urging of James to be patient throughout this passage. Now, several things can come to mind when you think of patience. Sometimes we have to be patient with people. Um, and that could be uh, the, the truth here as James is thinking this and writing this. But I think primarily James has something else in mind when he writes about patience. And the word that he uses here actually means long-suffering, like hang in there. Be persistent in, your, in, 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 in suffering, knowing that God's going to bring about something new. So you can be long in your suffering because God's going to be doing something. I think that's what James has in mind here. Show long-suffering when you're experiencing adversities of life. So just prior to this, James writes about injustices that are happening within people, and there's this inequality of wealth. Today, there's inequality in wealth, and and, uh, sociologists point to all kinds of societal problems that happen with inequality of wealth, and it certainly was the case in the ancient Roman Empire, even more so today as ancient Roman Empire was incredibly stratified regarding economic uh, position in life. And the, the wealthy were taking advantage of the poor. And, and just before this, James is, is rebuking the wealthy for how they saw, uh, how they related to others. And the wealthy primarily saw themselves, primarily saw others, um, beg your pardon, primarily saw others as existing for the advantage of the wealthy instead of the other way around. When we think of integrity of a Christian, one of the key points is integrity is found in how I see myself in relationship to others. If I see others primarily as existing for my advantage, I'll never have integrity. And only if I see my my purpose, um, uh, uh, what God calls me to do, as primarily be to help advantage others, helping to meet others' needs, only then will I have integrity. So how we see ourselves in relationship with others is incredibly important. Do you see yourself primarily as existing to help advantage others, or do you see others primarily as existing for your advantage? So James rebukes the wealthy as seeing the poor primarily as existing to meet their needs instead of the other way around. And these these injustices that were occurring gives James the opportunity to tell Christians, okay, be patient, be patient, be patient. Be long-suffering. Hang in there. Now, how can he tell Christians to do that? It's because Christians have one another in this family that we call the church. See, James is concerned with the strength of the Christian community. 
He does not tell Christians to have long-suffering in a vacuum. He says, have long-suffering because you have access to this family of faith that is strong, that needs to be strong. They're able to show, people or Christians are able to show long-suffering through a church where Christians encourage one another and help provide for the needs of one another. Because if you are a Christian, drive this home, this point home again, the way of seeing yourself in a relationship to others is primarily we are here to, to help advantage the others within the community of faith, to, to help meet the needs of others within the community of faith, and not the other way around. So, look at verse 9. James writes, because the strength of the church family is so important, don't grumble against one another, brothers or sisters. Or you will be judged, James says. That might take us by surprise a little bit because what's, the wrong, what's wrong with a little bit of grumbling now and then? Don't grumble or you will be judged. Not judged by one another, but by the Lord who is at the door, James writes. So why does God care if we grumble? about one another in our church. What has to do with a truth about the church, and it's this. A church is only as strong as its relationships. A church is only as strong as its relationships. James considers the strength of church relationships, I think, much higher than we do today. It's because a church is only as strong as its relationships. It's the, the relationships are the fabric, is the fabric of, of love that makes a church strong. So James says, don't grumble against one another. What, what is grumbling? So it's not just kind of murmuring, you know, rah, rah, rah. It's not, that's, that's not what James has in mind with grumbling. Grumbling is using words in a complaining way to get our way. When we say, well, you know, that, that, that person over there is always messing that up, or he is all, he's never doing things the way that I, 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 I want him to, to be doing things. Um, that's a grumble. Uh, a grumble could be, you know, I, I would do that a lot better. If they would just kind of let me be in charge of that, things would be going a lot better. A grumble is a passive way of putting your preferences first. That's a grumble. Now, James says, let your yes be your yes, your no be your no. He says that at the end, verse 12. In other words, don't speak it. Let's talk about what, what grumbling can be. Grumbling can be a way of, of trying to make yourself look better, right? If, if we'd only do things the way that I think we should be doing them, things would be a lot better around here. James says, let your yes be your yes, your no be your no. In other words, don't speak additional words to convince others of your goodness. Don't, don't, don't speak additional words to convince others of your trustworthiness, which you shouldn't have to speak because you are a person of integrity. Don't be trying to convince others, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm right, I'm, you, can, you can trust me. Don't use your words to, to beef up others' expectations or admiration in you. See, sometimes we offer up all kinds of words 
to defend ourselves, providing all kinds of explanations and excuses. And James says, listen, just, just let, let your yes be your yes, your no be your no. You know, uh, kids, uh, have you ever eaten a cookie when you shouldn't have? Has that ever happened to you? Eat a cookie when you shouldn't. Mom or dad ask you, did you eat a cookie? And you know that you've eaten the cookie. Well, what are you going to say? You're just going to say, yes. Maybe, maybe you'll do that. But often what I find when kids eat the cookie and they're not supposed to eat the cookie is their response is, well, yeah, 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 but yeah, brother so-and-so, he ate a cookie. And so uh, I needed to have one too or, or something like this. Yeah, I was really hungry because you haven't fed me lunch yet today. So I ate a cookie. And we offer all these kind of excuses to make ourselves look better to defend ourselves, and James just says, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. So using words with integrity means I do not present myself as better than I am or I do not use my words to present others as worse than they are because the church is only as strong as its relationships and God desires his church to be strong so that we can give one another strength in our long suffering. So don't try to undermine others with your words. That's the first point. Second point about our words is this. Our words are powerful towards doing the Lord's work. Our words are incredibly effective and influential in us doing the Lord's work. See, one of, the, one of the interesting things about the Bible storyline is what God does with his word. We know the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. We know what is repeated over and over again in Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God, God created through speaking. That is the power of God's word. Now, is that a trivial point to the creation story? No, I, I don't think so. Because look at, look at, I mean, we see this in several places throughout Scripture. I want to point to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Does not treat that as a trivial point. God creating through speaking. Look at what it says about God's creation of the heavens and earth. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Why not just say, by faith, we understand that God created the universe, that it was God that did it. Because writer of Hebrews is pointing out the power of God's spoken word. Here's what God says about his word. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. God says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it, making it bud and, and flourish, bringing about growth and, and goodness and abundance so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God creates goodness. Through his word. God's word has real creative power. 
Now, our word isn't quite like that. Um, most mornings, I am the first one to get up in my household. And almost without fail, when Melissa gets up, she will say to me, will you make coffee? And often I've already made coffee. But if I haven't, um, I, I say, of course, of course I will make uh, coffee. But not once ever have I then said, I will send my word into the kitchen, let there be coffee. Not once have I said that. Because I have to actually go into the kitchen and make the coffee. So our, our words do not have the, the creative power quite like God's word does, yet our words are still incredibly effective and influential. And God calls us to use our word to use our words in ways that work to accomplish his will. So in James Chapter 5, verse 10, we read this. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke, or the prophets doing their speaking, in the name of the Lord. Now, uh, as, as James writes this, who would he have been thinking of? Uh, several prophets, perhaps, but Jeremiah, for certain. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1, God tells Jeremiah this. uh, You must go speak the things that I tell you to speak, he says. You must go to everyone, to to everyone that I send you to, and say whatever I command you to. Do not be afraid. Then he, he provides this encouragement to Jeremiah. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. Now the word God gave Jeremiah to speak was a very unpopular word of repentance because of God's coming judgment. And the Israelites, he spoke to them, he rejected that message. Now, there was only one way that Jeremiah would have been able to speak what he did. Um, uh, there's only one, one way that, that Jeremiah would have been able to speak those words, and that is if he was convinced that God was sending him and that indeed God would be there with him and be there to rescue him. So here is, here is, here's the point. God is sending you to do some work. When we, when we go and serve the Lord, it's because God has sent us. We need to know that God is with us, and he will be there to help and to rescue when we are doing God's work. Sends us out, and he gives us words to say. The words that God gives to us are important in doing the job that God sends us to do. Hebrews 10, verse 24 says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, two things about that. One, spurring one on towards love and good deeds, that doesn't have to include the words that we say to one another. But I think it very often does. In fact, I think most of the times that we spur one another on towards love and good deeds is through the words that we say. God has words that he wants us to speak. So if I see someone who has a gift to use 
or an opportunity to serve, if I think it would just be great um, at, at doing something or there's something important that they could do, I'm, I'm going to tell them, I, th- I think you'd be, I think I would use my words, I think you'd be fantastic for this. Or I will ask him, uh, have you thought about have you thought about serving in this way or doing this? This would be this would be fantastic, and we really need you. I use my words to spur one another on towards, or to spur others on towards love and good deeds. So we often are using our words to influence. So that's the first thing to notice about that Hebrews passage. Um, two, I want you to realize that the person that we must spur on towards love and good deeds sometimes is ourselves. Let me put that in the second person. The person that you often need to spur on towards love and good deeds is yourself. Um, Let me talk about that. Sometimes I indeed know what God is asking me to do either to act in faithfulness or sometimes there is a sin in my life that I know God is telling me to put away and I need to spur myself on towards love and good deeds, towards faithfulness with the Lord. But it can be very difficult to do that. Um, There are ways of obedience that may come quite naturally to me when it's kind of in line with my strengths. Likewise, there may be ways of obedience that come very naturally to you. They have no problem in obeying the Lord in certain ways. Um, But then there, there may be ways where it's actually quite hard for me to obey or ways for you to obey. Um, it may be quite... It may come quite naturally to you to, um, to, to serve someone else or to show acts of, of service. Maybe for you, if there's an, an opportunity to serve, to make someone a meal, uh, to spend um, a few hours helping someone out, do some plumbing work at their house. Oh, God bless you when you do that. Um, that may come quite naturally to you. You may not have to speak many words to yourself, to encourage you to do those things. That's what I'm, I'm trying to point out. But there are other acts of obedience that may not come easily for you. And you will need to give yourself your word to spur you towards obedience. So let me give you a personal example of how this has worked in my life. And I've used this personal example before. Um, but one of the times that I find myself shrinking back instead of pushing forward in faithfulness, it, when I've been a pastor, it has been um, particularly when I'm with other pastors that I esteem highly and we're all talking, we're having a discussion, we're having a meeting, we're, or maybe we're in a mentoring group and we're, we're, we're doing a Bible study, we're, we're, we're reflecting on on the Christian walk and pastoral ministry, there will be time of a discussion. And my, my tendency, when I'm around a big group of other pastors that I really esteem, I, it's just, okay, I'm just going to sit back. I'm not going to say anything around these, these other pastors have, who have great words and insight to say. 
And I find myself shrinking back. And I think, God, this is not what you want me to do. You don't want me to shrink back. You don't want me to be just sit back here and listen. You want me to, to engage and, to, and to, to use the ideas that you've put in me and to contribute those. And so I have to beforehand, I, and I do this to myself. I say, I give, my, I give my word that I will contribute to the conversation. I give myself my word that I'm going to do that. I spur myself on towards love and good deeds. And then I do my best job as possible to keep my word. That's using words with integrity. So here's something we need to know. Our word participates with God's word in doing God's work. Our word participates with God's word in doing God's work. It is important to realize that the work of God always comes first. It isn't that we do God's, um, uh, let me put that more clearly to what I wrote. It is important to realize that the work of God's word comes first. Okay, yes. It isn't that we do God's work independently of or even prior to God prompting us to do something. God prompts us first and we just follow forward in obedience. We respond to God's work that is already happening in our lives, or God's word that is already happening in our lives. Jesus, let me give you an example from Scripture. Jesus looked out on crowds of, of hurting and lost people, and then he told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But then Jesus did not then say, okay, get out there and go do something for them. What does Jesus then say? He said, uh, I'm on page 6, and let's see if we can get what Jesus said. Uh, Matthew 9, 38. Uh, one before, I, maybe the scripture's not in there. Go one slide before that, that one. There we go. Oh, maybe it's not in there. I might have left off Matthew 9, verse 38. So this is what Jesus then says. He doesn't say, so get out there, disciples, and go help those people. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest to go send out his workers. That's the pattern. God sends us out, then we respond. It's not that we got to come up with what God wants us to do. God will send us out first. So Jesus shows this amazing interaction between God's word and our word. God, with his word, creates opportunities for us to go and serve him, sending us out. Anything we do towards helping others experience God or connecting others with God or helping others to experience God's kingdom, that's just a response to God's word that he's already sent out, moving us, sending us out into the harvest field, prompting us for ministry. So my question for you is, how do you need to give your word towards doing something this morning? Maybe you are pushing your spiritual disciplines uh, to the sideline. You know that you should set a time for prayer, for, for reading the scriptures, but you just keep setting it aside and day after day passes and you're like, oh, I know I should be doing this, but I, I, I just keep getting busy and I, I forget or I, you know, I get on with other things. You may, did, may need to give yourself your word. Say, I give my word 
to praying for 10 minutes or for 15 minutes before I leave for work tomorrow. I give myself my word that I'm going to do that. You speak your word. There may be another example, a confrontational conversation you need to have. I hate confrontational conversations. I will put them off as long as I can. Sometimes I have to say, I give my word. I'm going to... I'm going to call this person. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to call my dad. I'm going to. I'm going to you know, talk to one of my kids, um, and have that confrontational conversation. Um, when you are having a hard time following through, and that's not uncommon. Sometimes you have to give your word to yourself. I will do this. But I want to suggest that we take that one step forward. Sometimes you need to give your word to someone else that you're going to do something and invite them into this process of helping you stay true to your word, helping you stay accountable to your word. And I've done that before. When I've had something difficult that I need to do, and I know I'm going to resist this, I will call a friend and I'll say, I need to give my word to do something. And this is what it is. And I'm having a, I'm having a hard time doing it because of this and this and this. This fear that I have, don't know what's going to happen, but I need to give my word that I'm going to do it. And then I invite that person to pray for me. Please pray for me that I will help keep my word. That can be really important. I invite you to think about who you can pull in to to help you stay true to your word is something that you know that God is asking you to do. And then there's one more step in this process. What happens when you fail to keep your word? Do you give up and say, ah, I'm just, I'm just, I feel like a failure, and this isn't working. I just give up. No. Don't give in to shame. Instead, in those moments, you lean into grace. So here's this is in one of your points um, in the bulletin. If you want to fill it in, using words with integrity means promise keeping, staying true to your word, but then. And then showing grace to others when they fail and to yourself when you fail. Show grace to yourself when you fail. The person that you've invited into their process, he or she will show you grace when you fail. And you try it again. You say, I'm so sorry I didn't keep my word. I'm going to try again. You pray for me again. We rely on God's grace in those moments. And instead of being overwhelmed with shame, we give our word again. We seek God's strength and His grace. So that is using our word to participate in God's work. Now let's move on to our third point of the importance of our words. It's this. Our words also reveal what we believe about God's character. The words that we say Reveal what we believe about God's character. Ultimately, the power for us to use our words with integrity is found in God's character. Look at verse 8. James says, You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So a better way of translating that, reading that, is be patient and strengthen your heart. Resolve in your heart. Don't lose heart. Have courage in your heart for the future. Why? James says, because the Lord's coming is near. Now, the coming of the Lord 
is used in two ways in the Scripture. One, it's used as a motivation to repentance because of the coming of the Lord or the day of the Lord, as it's sometimes referred to. That, that's, that's the day of judgment. <laughs> it's a motivation to repentance because the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, is the coming of judgment. That's one way that it's been used in Scripture. And the other way it, uh, that the coming of the Lord has been used is a source of ultimate and really unlimited comfort. See, if you are a Christian, you don't have to fear the judgment because Jesus took the judgment for our sins on himself when he died on the cross. And so it's not a day of judgment for us because that judgment has already been placed on Jesus, dying on the cross for our sins. And and so we hear from James, he says, yes, the Lord, he's at the door. And so... You don't have to be afraid. You can be patient. You can be strong. You can have this, this strong heart because the Lord is going to bring judgment, not on, not on you, that's already happened on Jesus, but on everything else that is wrong in this world. That God has set himself to make things right. You don't have to fend for yourselves, in other words. You don't have to use your words to manipulate others, trying to, trying to create the best future for yourself that you can because God says, I will give you a future. I will take everything that is wrong in this world and I will set it right. You don't have to use others for your own advantage because the Lord is coming. And all the pain that we experience in James is well aware that Christians are experiencing pain and fear and loss. And James says, don't worry because the Lord is at the door. The judge is at the door. He's going to judge Everything that is wrong is going to make it right. And then, as a sign of this, James mentions Job. So, talks about the prophets, how they endured, and now talks about Job and how Job endured. Look at verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard about Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. And then he writes, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So I want you to think about Job and what the Lord brought about for Job. Job lost his health. He lost his family. He lost his possessions. And and, and God brought about this complete restoration for Job. See, Job... And what, what was Job doing in this? He was, he was just kind of standing in the, in the whirlwind of God. And, and in the end, all Job could do was to say, God, you are God and I am not. I cannot use my words to create anything in my life. I, I, I can't use my words to make myself look better in your sight, God. I, I can't use my words to to uh, make you do something different, God, because you're, you're the whirlwind, God. I, I can, all I can do is just stand here and submit my life to you. And that's what he did. My life is completely in your hands, not my own. And what did God do? God was full of compassion and mercy. And he took all the wrongs and he set them to right. And that's what God does because he is full of compassion and mercy and he keeps his promises. So our final point, in order to use words with integrity, 
Fix your heart on God's compassion and mercy. If you don't believe that God is faithful to his promises, if you don't believe that God is full of compassion and mercy, then you will use your words for your advantage, trying to carve out for yourself as much life as you can get for yourself. And you will swear when activities, uh, when, uh, not when activities, when difficulties come. You'll, you'll swear when, when, when adversity and difficulties come because you will have no perspective to see how how there can be a turnaround for, for good. And so swearing and using words in a way of manipulation will be your way of coping with life. But if you believe in God's faithfulness to come to us full of compassion and mercy, then you can let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Your words will be an encouragement to others. They will be a benefit to others in building up a strong church where people can find rest through love and support from one another. Your words will spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and your your words will spur yourself on towards love and good deeds. And your words will reveal that you believe in a God who is oh so new, who is standing at the door. He's right at the door. He's right there. God is at work bringing about good and hope and is full of mercy and compassion. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you that we can always have hope because you're you're, you're right there. You're you're not distant. You're not far off. You're, You're right at the door. You're right there, ready to move and act and bring about goodness through your mercy and your compassion. Father, we pray that we would be like Job and just submitting our lives to you, putting our lives in your hands, knowing that your goodness will come to us. You do so without fail. You're faithful to keep all of your promises. Thank you for saving us and loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.